forward to the time when God would send this person, uh, the servant of the Lord. And when we get to the New Testament, it becomes very apparent uh, that that servant is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And as we look back at Isaiah, we see what it is uh, that God promised he would achieve. So Isaiah 42, our first sermon, we looked and saw that the servant was going to bring forth God's justice. Not only was he going to set everything straight, but he was actually going to establish an order that would bring blessing and peace to all people. Sounds good? Yes? Isaiah 49 promised that the servant would bring salvation, not just bringing Israel back out of exile because they were going to go into exile in Babylon, not only bringing them home, but a salvation that was much bigger than that for Israel, but for the nations as well. And then last, uh, or in uh, Isaiah 52 and 53, we saw that the servant was going to do this by actually standing in the place of God's people by actually taking their sin, their rebellion upon himself. You might remember the words that Isaiah used to speak of his ministry when he said, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. The servant of the Lord, he achieves this justice and salvation by becoming a substitute and dying and rising again in our place. Now, today is the end of our, our walk through Isaiah. We're looking at uh, the passage that Joel read to us from Isaiah 56. Uh, and I've got three particular points. Because um, Kathy, our admin person, was away on holidays, that's why you've got the really detailed sermon outline. Uh, so let me tell you where I'm going, but let me also warn you that the middle point is the long one. Okay, so don't space them equally down your page. Uh, the call of the servant the character of his community, and the companion of the contrite. So the call of the servant, the character of his community, and the companion of the contrite. This first point, the call of the servant, is a little bit of a recap of the previous weeks as well. We saw last week this wonderful invitation where God called to us. He said, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, come who you have no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen. That you might live. Incredible words. Words of invitation. Words to come and to receive by God's grace. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Things of value that you receive freely. And not just basic sustenance. What's he say? You will delight in the richest of fare. You will eat What is good, not only that, listen, that you may live. And not just biological life. Yes, there's a pulse in your veins. Yes, there's breath going in and breath going out. No, but life as Jesus described it in John 10.10, life to the full, 
Life of blessing, life as we were meant to have it. That's the invitation. And how do we receive it? How do we respond to this call? It's there from last week's passage as well. He tells us to seek the Lord while he may be found. To call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to God. He will, he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Seek the Lord. Call on him. Forsake your ways. Forsake your thoughts. Turn to the Lord. He will have mercy. He will freely pardon. This is what uh, the New Testament talks of as repentance. Repentance and faith. You turn away from something and you turn to something. These two ideas come together. Jesus, when he starts his ministry in Galilee, Mark chapter 1 tells us this. He proclaims the good news of the kingdom, saying, The kingdom of heaven has drawn near. Repent and believe. Repentance and faith, hand in hand. I want to unpack this a little bit more than I was able to do last week. Because these things together are the one thing. To embrace one is to turn away from something else. It's like if you... Um, okay, let me use a rather crass illustration. Uh, imagine your teenage years and you know, you're know you dating, that sort of stuff. It doesn't go well if you're dating multiple people at once. Let me, let me tell you that. Uh, I've, I've chatted with some um, older people, and I've got to be careful because sometimes my father does listen to my sermons. Um, I think he actually said this. My mother passed away a number of years ago, uh, and so Dad goes on uh, dates, not that he would ever call them dates, but with a number of different ladies. Uh, he's dead as friends. Uh, but imagine it was more, and imagine if they found out there were these others uh, to actually embrace one is to actually say no to everyone else. That is what repentance actually is. If you don't have turning away, your embracing becomes a bit dodgy, really, yes? Okay, if you don't have repentance, to just have faith, you become someone who says, I love Jesus, but I love everything else as well. I once went on a short-term mission trip into Malaysia and uh, we were working amongst the Chinese community in uh, the north of Borneo. And what would actually happen... Um, now, there's people here who understand the Chinese community much better than I do, uh, so forgive me if I transgress here. Uh, but someone explained to me that the Chinese were intensely practical uh, and if they found something useful, they would pick up that thing. Uh, and sometimes when you were talking to them about Jesus, they would say, he sounds great, and they would add him in to all the other gods and spirits that they would worship. That's what uh, the technical name for that is, syncretism. It's blending everything in. So they would have gods for everything. You'd go into the, the restaurant, and there up on the, on the shelf was a, a god uh, that was to protect or a spirit that was to protect their business but there'd be other ones from the home and so if you just have a turning to without a turning away if you just have faith without repentance you end up adding Jesus into everything else 
Now, we may not do it in the way that the people in Borneo did it. We may do it in, we use Jesus as a little bit of an insurance policy. You know, when I die, I'll go to heaven, but I'm going to seek what I want. I'm going to seek the life that I'm craving in all these other ways as well. And so we add Jesus to family, to business, to experience, to take your pick as our source of life. Repentance without faith uh, doesn't, or faith without repentance doesn't actually work. Repentance without faith doesn't work either because you just end up in despair. You turn away, you see just how empty everything else is, but you've got nothing to turn to. But here Jesus is actually saying, here the Lord is saying, come, seek, you will find, you will eat, you will delight in the richest of fare. Once your response to this call, what do you do? This was a question that I faced. Uh, I was a person converted out of a nominally Christian family, a family that turned up to church on Christmas and Easter. Uh, and then when I came to faith, uh, someone had explained Jesus to me. I went, oh, well, if that's, if that's the way things are, I need to do something about this. And I put my trust in him. And then I thought, well, what do I do now? I'm 13 years old. People in my family live long. We buried grandparents in our 90s. So I just sort of hang around waiting to go to heaven. What, what do I do? I don't know if you've ever asked that question. Uh, this is what this morning passage is about. The call is there. But once you've responded to the call, once you've sought the Lord, once you've turned to him with repentance and faith, what does life look like? It's like, a, it's like being picked to play for a team when we when we come to faith it's like you've been selected okay this was an agonizing moment whenever I was at school maybe you're like me I was generally the kid that was picked last uh doesn't really matter I've I've dealt with that I've got over it um but the whole point of being picked for the team is to what play the game and as you play the game you follow the captain's lead what she says, what he says, that's what's important. And if you, you read the sports uh, journalism these days, everyone's got an opinion about what players should be doing and what teams should be doing. But actually, there's one voice that actually matters, isn't it? It's the captain's voice. And on the field, when you're playing the game, you follow the captain. And that is what we do. So as we respond to the call of the servant, we join his people. And we play the game. We play the game of life his way, following his lead. Which brings us to point number two, the character of his community. Because when Jesus saves us, he brings us into his church, his family, his people. And it's a people that are called into existence by him that have one critical thing in common. So if you look around, there's an exercise for you. I'm going to see if you can pick this. Look at everyone, look at people around you. What have you all got in common, okay? Spend 20 seconds, see if you can work this out. What have you all got in common? Yes, you're all wearing clothes. No, that doesn't count. You worked it out? We're all alive. Yes, but, but you know, was, the one thing that you've all got in common, it, it, it's not that God's people or the, the community of the servant 
is for men but not for women because they're both men and women here. It's not for Anglos but not non-Anglos because we've got people of multiple different races here. It's not for young but not for old. You know, take your pick. The one thing that characterises you all is your desperate need. Is your desperate need. Who are the ones who respond to the call? Come to me, you who are thirsty. Come buy bread and wine without money, without cost. Come because you have a need. The Apostle Paul says it in Corinthians when he writes to the church in Corinth and he says, not many of you were of noble birth. You're not the winners. You're not the the great, you know, God doesn't peak the best and the brightest. You know, you've got to have a TER of 98 plus to get in. You've got to be over six foot tall. You've got to be devastatingly attractive. Paul says he's not picking the winners. He picks for his glory by grace to shame. He picks the things that are not to shame the things that that are. He picks the weak to shame the strong to show his power, to show his grace. The thing that unites us is our need of his grace. And we are saved into his community and that community, it has a task to play the game. Let me give you the four things. This is number one, verses one and two. Our first thing is we are a community of justice. This is what the Lord says, maintain justice, do what is right for my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps their hand from doing any evil. Do you remember the first task the servant had back in Isaiah 42? It was to work to bring forth justice and not just, you know, righting the wrongs. That's called retributive justice. You know, you've stepped out of line and you get a smack. Not that God will just judge the world, which he will, but he's going to establish what is called primary justice, where it is a community where there is righteousness, where everything is rightly related to one another where the rich do not exploit the poor, where the winners do not exploit the losers, where people flourish. That is the community. Another word for it is shalom, this peace idea, where we can come together and flourish. And the agent, the, the, the servant was to bring that. And then he says to his people, you are to be people of justice. You are to be agents of of justice. How does that work? Let me explore some of these things. Maybe you're at school and there's the kids on the edge, the new kid, the kid that's a little bit less gifted in sport or a little bit slower at school, you know, and for whatever reason they're on the edge. What does it mean to be an agent of justice in that case? What's getting alongside that kid? Not in condescending pity, but choosing to love those on the outside. Why? Because in Christ, God has loved us who are on the outside. What does it mean for us at work? 
to be agents of justice? Well, it means that we'll be very keen that things are done right. Not right in terms of ticking all the boxes, although that, that, that is important. But that we actually have a culture within our workplace that promotes people flourishing. I've seen workplaces, I've heard of them, I've talked to people who are involved with them where it's a real dog-eat-dog kind of world, crawling over each other to get to the top. Horrible places to work. But as Christians in our workplaces, what should we be doing? We should be being agents of justice. Actually have people come away from interactions with us feeling that, wow, that didn't go as badly as I thought it was. good. That, that was really good. If we have people answering to us, do they like working for you? Do they go, it's really good that Jim or Jane or whoever you are is my boss. Do they see Christ's justice coming through? In our neighbourhoods, do we work to bring this justice? I think one of the challenges for us is that we actually find ourselves not knowing our neighbours. And so there might be desperate need right next door. Uh, I have to say I'm not wonderfully good uh, at this because I work with people for so many of the hours of my day. When it comes to meeting my next door neighbours, I'm a bit like, oh, I've kind of done people. I need a bit of a break. Um, some of you will resonate with that. Some of you think I'm weird. That's okay. It's a good thing I got married and married someone who goes and knocks on their door, invites them around for meals. Uh, it's really good to get to know people because you can be agents of justice in that way. One thing we've been talking about at, uh, at a ministry level for our church is whether we need to adopt a ministry partner that will help us in this area. And we've been exploring what it would mean uh, to partner with Compassion. Now, Compassion's an organisation that works uh, to release children from poverty in Christ's name. Profoundly Christian, they work through local churches in the communities that they are working with. Uh, we're still in early days. If you have an opinion on that, I'd love you to come and talk to me about this. Uh, you could also talk to Jeff and Helen, who are just sitting over here, who lead up our ministry, our Mission M. Uh, and uh, that's a conversation that we are, are talking about. But we are to be a community of justice. But not only justice, of inclusion. Verse 3. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. Eunuchs, foreigners, they would have expected exclusion. Why? It's actually there. In Deuteronomy 23, you'll actually find rules that exclude them from the assembly of the Lord. It's sometimes difficult to trace down exactly why. With eunuchs, we think it was because it's God's creation marred. Okay, People who were castrated for whatever reason, God's creation marred. What we find with the foreigners that are being listed here, those who are outside of Israel, often they were the enemies. They are the ones who had fought against Israel. And this was an act of judgment. But it was never really designed to be a block 
for these people coming in. So one of the people's explicitly named as not being welcome in the assembly of the Lord were the Moabites because the Moabites had fought against Israel when they came out of Egypt. But whenever you read one of the books of the Bible, the book of Ruth, do you know what nationality Ruth was? She was a Moabite. And she came in and she said to Naomi, she said, your God is my God. Your people are my people. And she was a wonderful example of faith to Israel. And this woman, included in Israel, became, I think, the great-grandmother of King David and in the line of Jesus. So it was never designed to cast out. But when you came to God, you could be included. And we should be a community of inclusion. Now, what does this mean? For us, Moabites, that's not really an issue, really, is it? Uh, What boundaries, though, might we have? We are maybe politer, but more cutting in our exclusion. What boundaries do you have? What kind of people do you not want in your church? What kind of people would you like... I'd love them to come to faith, but maybe at another church? Is it people of different ethnicities? Is it people of different socioeconomics? Is it people of different educational levels? Is it people who look different? I can speak about him now. He's not here. He went off to Woodcroft. But I miss Malachi. Uh, Why do I miss Malachi? Because he reminds us that we're not all middle class Uh, Malachi, if you didn't know him, was covered in tats. He had wonderful fleshy earrings and all this kind of stuff and loved Jesus. Loved Jesus. When you get a very straight, conforming, middle-class person like me next to him, it's good to remind you that actually God loves a variety. And he doesn't look at the outside, but he looks at the heart. What, What are our barriers Because Jesus is saying, my community, the community of the servant, is a community that welcomes people in. Why? Because we ourselves have been welcomed in. And not because we are the winners, but because we had a need that only Christ could answer, which is exactly the same need that they have. And so when you find it hard to welcome that person, recognize just how much you have been welcomed in Christ. Can I just say, though, inclusion and acceptance doesn't mean that we endorse everything. Jesus is very strong on this is the life that you are called to live. Someone once said, God meets us where we are at, but he never leaves us where we're at. So as we come to him, come into our community, the aim is that we become more and more like Christ. So we're a community of justice, of inclusion and blessing. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Now, we don't really probably get this in the same way. 
because for us, uh, bearing children has become a little bit of an optional thing uh, and individualism has broken down some of the family sort of stuff. But go back into a more traditional culture. Family is everything. And your descendants carry your name into the future. And if you're a eunuch, you cut off. You're a dry tree. There's no future for your name. Your line will not go any further. But God promises an extraordinary blessing. He says, I will give them a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Now, how do we imply this? That God is blessing the eunuchs. What what does that mean for us? I wrestle with this one. Because we don't place the same, the same emphasis on descendants. But you might be here this morning without children. You might not be married. You might be married without kids. You might desperately want them. You might be here feeling that the family that you crave, that biological family, it's eluded you. Maybe through divorce, you no longer have connections with large swathes of your family. But what Jesus is saying, that as you come into his family, like the eunuch who will have a memorial better than sons and daughters, you will find a family and a legacy amongst God's family. You will have brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. You can invest in them and leave a legacy that lasts. Pam's got up here this morning and talked to you about serving in a whole lot of ministry areas. Someone taught each of us, if we were converted as children, as we grew up in the church, there are the men and the women who instructed us, who cared for us, who nurtured us, who invested in us as they taught kids' church each week. Do you see that you have the opportunity to produce a legacy, not a biological legacy, but a spiritual legacy? There's a funny story uh, of the old lady who invited Billy Graham to come to church. Did she understand the impact of what she was doing? Did she understand the impact? I had the privilege a number of years ago of meeting the man who spoke at the event where I became a Christian. And at that point, I had been walking with the, with the Lord for 20-odd years. I'd gone off to Bible college. I had committed myself to a life of ministry. And I had the privilege of actually saying, by God's grace, you sowed that seed. The legacy, he didn't even realize. It blew him away that, wow, okay, here's a guy. I said some words. And by God's grace, look what he's done. And that's not saying, hey, I'm wonderful. But we have this opportunity to have a memorial and a legacy for the foreigner for the foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants and to all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it those who hold fast to my covenant see that the foreigner is very clearly identifying themselves with the God of Israel these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. 
for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, we probably don't feel, most of us anyway, exclusion. We probably don't feel that sense of not belonging. Maybe on the odd occasion you go into a social thing where you kind of go, everyone here knows each other and I don't. But hopefully, even in those circumstances, people are open to meet you. Try going as a foreigner into another culture. Maybe you don't even speak the language. Talk to some of our foreign students among us today. What it's like for them coming into Australia with all our brash, treading on all the cultural norms, making people profoundly uncomfortable, violating all sorts of rules and things and feeling, oh, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. But it was very true in Israel that the foreigner had a very clear message that they did not belong. This is the temple. You can see on the inside there, you can see the tall structure in the middle that housed the holy, holy place and the holy of holies. The priests could go in there. Then you've got the wall around that. You had to be an Israelite to go inside that inner wall. Different people could go to different places. The Gentiles, the nations, the non-Jews could come in and they could go inside that outer wall, but they weren't allowed any closer. A real exclusion. You can come close, but not that close. You don't belong. But what what Isaiah is saying, what the servant is saying, is that what you actually see is that the ones who bind themselves to minister to the Lord, the word there is a priestly image these people aren't just going into the court of the gentiles or into the court of israel these people are actually offering sacrifices that the lord says will be acceptable the ones who are excluded will be blessed by inclusion blessed by inclusion and one of the amazing things is in the new testament we see this fulfilled in acts chapter 8 the first pagan convert. Who is he? He's a foreigner. He's an Ethiopian. And he's a eunuch. And what was he reading? Isaiah 53 at the time. He was in this very series of passages that we've been looking at. So we are to be a community of justice, of inclusion, of blessing, but also of mission. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel... I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. God is a God on mission. Jesus' death and resurrection, the ministry of the servant to bring justice and salvation is a ministry for all the nations. His conquering death and sin and evil is not just for those on the inside, it's for everyone. And so when Jesus, at the end of his earthly ministry, he calls the disciples to himself in Matthew 28, and he says, go and make disciples of all nations. We've tried to pick this up in our church mission statement, that we, empowered by God's spirit, resting in his grace and for his glories, we make and grow disciples of Jesus Christ. God is a God on mission. We are people on mission. Our call is to make disciples 
of all nations. But one of the amazing things is, it's the Lord's work. So what's it mean? Well, Jeff and Helen got us all to do a questionnaire a couple of weeks back and they gave us some results. And one of the things uh, it showed that we maybe weren't as strong as we should be is actually praying for our friends and our families, our neighbours, our colleagues by name to come to the Lord. And if it's the Lord's work, I will gather. It is the Lord's work. We should be praying. We should be going to him and say, Lord, gather these people. We should also recognise that we are, as a community, given this mission. So someone walks in this morning and you don't know them. Do you think, ah, someone else will look after them. I hope they have a good time. Or do you think, actually, in God's name, I'm going to welcome them. And if they don't know about Jesus, I want to tell them about Jesus. Do we do this? Do we have that? Because the community of the servant is a community on mission. What else? We have partner agencies that we work with. We have missionaries that we partner with. CMS. We have women, Micah Prins, uh, working amongst the church in Cambodia. CMS is a great organisation to support. Get on board, support them financially, pray for them. Let's move a little bit more local to home. AFES, the work on the campuses, our very local Flinders campus, and we have Lauren, who is here, in all her glory up there on the screen. Lauren, do you want people to pray for you? <coughs> support Lauren, get alongside her, ask her how she's going. Pray for her. Part of our mission is to see the universities converted for Christ. We set off recently, Shana, to work with Wycliffe and SIL to see the Bible translated into the mother tongues of nations around the world. So, like we read from Revelation, the tribes, nations, tongues, languages around the throne can sing to the great God. We can get on board with mission at home and abroad. Lastly, the companion of the contrite. Now you might be feeling a little bit overwhelmed. You might think, oh, that sounds like an awful lot of things that I need to be focusing on, Cameron. If you're feeling burdened, Jesus' words should comfort and maybe rebuke you. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My burden is light, my yoke is easy. If we look at it and go, it's all too hard, maybe we're looking at it the wrong way. Because it's God's work through us. And as we rest in his promises, as we trust in his grace, as we rejoice in the fact that he has so blessed us, that itself he uses to fuel the mission the welcome, the inclusion, the justice. There's a wonderful promise. I had to move one chapter a bit further away in Isaiah to get this, but it's there. I love this. This is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart 
of the contrite. If that is us, if we are the contrite, the ones who have turned to God with repentance and faith, the promise is, is that he is with us. That the servant has conquered for us. That we have the blessing of his comfort and reviving. That his spirit dwells amongst us. And the promise that he says is that his salvation is close at hand and his righteousness will be revealed. The Lord will come back for us. And so rest in him. And as we do, as we commit ourselves to be his people, to be shaped by his character, his justice, his inclusion, his blessing, his mission, we will have the great delight of seeing God do what he has done in us again and again and again in the lives of others. Let's pray. Father, we ask. I ask this morning, Lord, if there are any here who have not heard and responded to your call, that you might stir them, that they might do that that they may seek you while you may be found, they may listen to you so that they might live. And Father, for those of us who have turned to you, who have turned away from everything else, Father, help us to see the great blessing that you have given us and the privilege that as you work justice through Christ, you call us to be agents of that justice. As you call people in and welcome them in, you call us to be welcoming. As you seek to bless and promise a legacy that lasts, you will give that to us as well. And as you gather people in, Lord, you use us as messengers that we might take the call to the nations. Father, we ask that you would be amongst us, that our church would be a church that is truly characterised as a church of the servant of the Lord. And in his most precious name we pray. Amen.